Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast you're listening to right now. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. <laughs> My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. People call me Whitney Seibold. Yes. Yes, no, they do. Yeah, no, nothing to gossip about. Just straightforward. No. Just address me. All right. I will respond. Cool. And did you always make a big deal out of it. You could just say your name and then we could move on. I, I Instead, know, you try to make a point about how oh, yeah, I have to. I have to match your rhythm. You you okay. introduce yourself and you give your your nickname, and I can you know I, yeah. if I just say my name, it just like falls flat, and it stops it's the like, podcast dead every time you do it. It's, yeah, it's like a <laughs> if he's really worried about the rhythm, s- he's flopping down. It's like a dog, pantyhose filled with pasta just <laughs> landing on the landing on the ground there. So are we talking. Uh... No, you know, I'm just going to not ask about that. <laughs> we're, we're reviewing movies this week. I'm critically acclaimed. Reviewing the new releases, Army of the Dead, Seance, Final Account, and Drunk Bus. And over on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, the part of the podcast where our listeners over at Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network all vote for a older film that at least one of us, Whitney Seibold and or myself, have not seen that is currently available on a streaming service uh, for us to watch, because we're watching most of our uh, stuff on streaming services anyway. And uh, why ignore all the great catalog titles just because uh, new stuff comes out? Mm. So we want to make sure they're always in the process of exploring uh, the history of cinema and uh, sort of filling in the gaps in all of our respective collections. And uh, this week, we are talking about a film that is often hailed as one of the best films ever made. It is Gil Bontecorvo's mm. really controversial film... The Battle of Algiers. That's Gilo. Gilo Pontecorvo. Is it Gilo? Gilo. Yeah. Okay. He's an Italian filmmaker. Okay. Weird that I mispronounced that. That's fine. Anyway. Uh, we, we live in Southern California. We, yeah. Whenever we see a double L, we, we pronounce it as if it were Spanish. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, Gilo Pontecorvo's The Battle of Algiers, which is currently available on HBO Max and the Criterion Collection. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Uh, before we get into any of that, hello, how are you? You doing okay? <laughs> I just want you to know that we're, uh, we're, we're thinking about you. You know, we hope you're having a good day. Hope you, mm. if you're listening to this on your commute, uh, hands at uh, 10 and 2. Make sure uh, you're checking your blind spots, you know, mm. safety first. Uh, if you're listening to this at home, take a load off, you know? <laughs> Pour yourself a drink. I don't know. How long Chill. can you keep this up? I wonder. This, this little 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 snippets of small talk you're flinging out there. I don't know. I was like people like uh, you know. How's it going, um, Chris? Hi, Chris. Just want you to know. I know quite a few Chris's who listen to the show. Good to hear from you. Anyway, let's, let's talk review a, some movies. Let's talk, let's talk about Army of the Dead. Shall let's we? talk about Army of the Dead. The the second really long. Uh, pulpy genre film from Zack Snyder this year. Uh, Zack Snyder, of course, uh, director of such films as uh, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, uh, 300, The Watchmen, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and uh, the most recent version of Justice League. He basically well, he, uh, he 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 wants to like erase the theatrical cut from his filmography Although and focus on is, his uh, much longer director's cut. Uh, Zack Snyder is, uh, does have sole directorial credit on the theatrical cut of Justice League. However, we've seen both versions and it's mm. very clear that Joss Whedon reshot a lot of that shit. He reshot a lot of it. Yeah. And, I think and, it's uh, fair. I think, I think it's I, fair to Alan Smithy that film. 
<laughs> I think both of them would maybe, probably be happier if we did. Maybe so, but it, as as I said when we reviewed the longer version of Justice League, I feel about them the same. I like mm. I am equally entertained by both versions. Uh, I, there's a couple of things mm. in the theatrical cut I thought were good, but mostly I got to admit I think Zack Snyder's cut is better. I still think it's bloated. I think you can That's, lose at uh, least 45 minutes out of the first half yeah. and you'd never know they were gone. Technically, in terms of like structure and clarity and yeah. character, yes, it is technically the better movie. Yeah. But it doesn't make it a more entertaining well, film. Here, here's what it is for me, and I think this is actually relevant to Army of the Dead, so I want to re- revisit this for a second. Okay. Um, Zack Snyder's career has mostly been spent making really expensive spectacle films. Even the films of his that are considered small, like Dawn of the Dead is, is like a lower budgeted horror movie. Like it's, it's a studio film, so it was pretty expensive overall, mm. but compared to his other films, relatively inexpensive. Uh, but the majority of his stuff has been really big, ambitious spectacle movies. Mm. Um, but I feel like there's two kinds of movies that he's made. He's made movies that are pretty straightforward pulp, and then he's made movies that have a lot of thematic ambition. And I feel that when he is going for straightforward pulp, he's a genuinely good filmmaker. I think he's got a great eye. I think he's mm. got a, a wonderful sense of... Uh, he appreciates broad storytelling, and he doesn't shy away from it. And some of his best films embrace that and make it fun. Mm. Um, when he tries to tell a big epic story with a lot of resonant themes and complexity, I think he whiffs it pretty consistently. I think he whiffs it because the kinds of ideas that Zack Snyder seems to be interested in as a filmmaker are uh, very simple and kind of, uh, kind of dark ideas. Well, he's a a deconstructionist. He likes to tear things down. uh, But you know, you look at something like Justice League, you know, all of his sort of Randian ideas come to the fore, and mm-hmm. that's also something that comes to the fore in uh, 300, which mm-hmm. is a film that just outwardly celebrates fascism. Yes, it, the uh, point of the movie yeah. is it it's being told by mm-hmm. fa- a fascist propagandist. He's trying to drum mm-hmm. up uh, excitement for a yeah. war effort, and that's why the story is so simple. Unfortunately, it's indistinguishable. From actual fascist propaganda, propaganda yeah. which is a problem, and it, I think that's not, I think know, the movie isn't aware of that. There, which is there's, there's, a, you know, compare it to something like Starship Troopers, which is a send up of fascist propaganda, mm-hmm. and, and it's that, constantly and it winking like at that. us. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's you have to be willfully obtuse to miss it. Yeah, and I, I think. Uh, and I don't want to get into the the weird sexual politics of something like Sucker Punch, yeah, uh, which is strange. is completely uh, it's really it's a misfire. misguided in a lot of ways. It's a misfire. Uh, here um, he is doing what is more or less a he- it's a heist movie. It's Escape from New York uh, with zombies. It meets aliens, meets uh, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's meets, Eleven, yeah, yeah. beats zombies. Uh, and you know what? Mm-hmm. That's and, and I think Justice League, his version of Justice League. Was also like he kind of stripped away a lot of the whole like we're going to talk about what it means to really be a god and what if God was real wouldn't we have to kill him mm-hmm. he stripped that all away and he told a relatively straightforward epic but relatively straightforward superhero story and I think that's why that Justice League movie mostly works mm-hmm. uh, here he is taking a variety of pulpy like one step above the asylum level of like high concept mm-hmm. okay we're gonna do. Escape from New York, but it's in Vegas, and instead of a whole bunch of like incarcerated criminals, they're zombies. Cool. All right. That sounds cool. Let's do that. <laughs> and he he really, aside from a couple of very strange elements, which seem to be setting things up for sequels that I have no interest in seeing, yeah. um, 
it's a straightforward bloated, but a straightforward zombie heist spectacular set in Vegas that takes a lot of advantage of that locale. And you know what? It's stupid, and I had fun. <laughs> uh, it, I agree that it's stupid, and I didn't have fun. That's a shame. Uh, I, I think because Zack Snyder isn't a very fun filmmaker. Even when he's doing pulp material, I, mm. I don't think he knows how to have fun. I think he's got, you know, he, he knows how to joke around a little bit. He mm-hmm. has a bit of a sense of humor. Right. He knows how to uh, employ funny actors to passable effect. A lot a lot of the cast, this uh, is quite good, yeah. I, I think Tig Notaro is the best part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tig Notaro plays the, uh, the helicopter pilot. And indeed, the, the cast is pretty much just off-the-rack stock characters. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the leader guy and the tough guy and yeah. the safecracker character. They're all sort of assembled yeah. by a a millionaire to break into Las Vegas to steal a bunch of money. Las Vegas has been walled off because the zombie outbreak happened there. Yeah. So it's been quarantined for quite a few years now. And the United States government is finally at the point where it's like, fuck it. Let's just nuke it. Yeah. We're going to nuke it. We're going to get rid of the zombie contamination for forever. It's going to get nuked on 4th of July. And so we only have a couple of days left, but in a vault at the bottom of one of the casinos is $250 million in cash. So a millionaire comes to them and says, hey, this is probably like, you know, you're probably going to die. But if you don't, you're going to get a shit ton of money. Hmm. We want you to steal all this money. Yeah. And so they assemble a team and they of people who have nothing better to do, nothing else to live for. I love it when they ask Tig Notaro. It's like, hey, Tig Notaro, would you uh, would you like, we need we need a helicopter. We, uh, we, we need someone for our team. And we'll spend $5 million. He's like, great, I'm in. Do you want to know what it is? Nope. I hate my life and $5 million <laughs> will fix it. I will do whatever yeah, you want yeah. me to do. Do you want to have any details? I assume something with the helicopter? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> She's great. otherwise? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, this idea of a bunch of uh, sort of marine meatheads breaking into zombie Las Vegas... Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like it would present a lot of fun opportunities. And indeed, there's some imagery in here that would make for fun stuff. Think mm-hmm. of something like Mars Attacks, which is just wild and kitschy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a zombie Elvis impersonator. Uh-huh. There's a bit with zombie Liberace and zombie showgirls attacking a guy. Yeah. Uh, one best... of Siegfried and Roy's tigers is now a zombie, and it's yeah. wandering around eating people. Yeah. Uh, why isn't that fun? Why aren't those things fun? <laughs> Why am well, I looking are, at those things and just sort of watching other zombies? It a lot of them are incidental. That, a lot of them are incidental. They're not yeah. really like focused on the only thing that they get. Well, they don't any... have to be focused on. Well, they just need to be employed in a creative kind of way. And if they, if you didn't focus on them long enough to employ them for in a creative way, they're not going to make any impact. They're yeah. just going to be there. That's my point. The only one of those things you mentioned that gets more than like a shot or two mm. is the zombie uh, tiger. His name's Valentine. And uh, there's actually one great bit where it does get to kill someone, and you can tell that like they actually paid attention to a cat playing with a toy because it, like they the person's trying to fight back and they like they turn yeah. oh you made it into a game you made it into a game now knocking him into a car and <laughs> that whole bit was fun I got a um, good time the gore is pretty spectacular yeah. I do like the just the the way the blood sprays in this movie. There is a fun bit where um, they have to break into a safe, but there's booby traps. Yeah. So they just like go up up an elevator into the casino where all the zombies are hanging out. Yeah. Just grab one, bring it down, and push it down like the, <laughs> the alleyway where all of the, uh, the the booby traps are. So it gets crushed instead of them. Yeah. That's kind of a cute bit. That's genuinely yeah. funny. Um, but uh, 
it needs a lot more snap. This movie is two hours and 15 minutes long. It needs to way be too long. 80. <laughs> Wait, I'm okay with it being an hour and 40. I think there's a lot, there's okay. enough, there's enough action <laughs> here. There's enough action here. I feel like you can make this an hour, hour and 45, maybe, but okay. like two hours, and 15 minutes is pushing it, especially mm-hmm. considering a lot of it feels like padding. Like there's this whole thing with this character played by Theo Rossi. Uh, Theo Rossi, you might remember from the daredevil series. He's a really good actor, actually. And he plays this enormous creep who works as a security guard at a uh, sort of a refugee camp for people who are displaced after the zombies took over uh, Vegas. And it's very topical. And And he's victimizing the people inside. He's a horrible human being. And uh, there's a bit where they, they have to bring him into Vegas for reasons we don't understand. And then we do. And then it really does seem like they're building this character. They're setting him up for something later. Mm. And no, <laughs> like he comes back, but like they don't actually like it's it's kind of like not worth bringing up again. Like mm. it's sort of thing where it's like we're setting up something for like a big dramatic heft and it never actually comes. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of things where like, for example, there's a weird thing in this movie every once in a while and they never talk about it. When they shoot a zombie in the head, what you got to do to kill him, you shoot him in the head. Every once in a while, they shoot a zombie in the head, and we see underneath their skin, they were a robot. Wait, I think I missed that. Oh, yeah. All the, you see, all of a sudden, like, the skull underneath them is shiny reflective silver, and, like, instead of, like, bleeding, there's, like, an electric spark. They never talk about that. That's a little bizarre. It's super weird, and it makes me think this is, like, some sort of sequel thing that we would get to at some time. Oh, God. I don't want that sequel. Yeah. That's putting a hat on a hat. I don't care about any of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that. A lot of we don't need any of that shit. It's simplicity is actually where this lies because this is a heist movie where mm-hmm. the complication is you're going through zombies. That's it. That's all we need. We don't need any more than that. I think what you're talking about in terms of like where like the fun is missing. I feel like Zack Snyder has a sense of what's sort of entertaining to put on camera, but I don't feel like as a filmmaker he has a sense of whimsy. No. That's what that's, I think is yeah. missing from this. And I think it's missing. Well, I, think, I use the word kitsch. And yeah. that's, that's, that's something he doesn't grasp. It's not him. It's not him at all. And I think you look at his superhero movies and you realize that he doesn't have, like, I don't know if he has a self-aware bone in his body. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's what a lot of people like about his stuff is that it's very sincere. It's too, a little too yeah. earnest for the his own The Great dread. Pumpkin yeah. would visit Zack Snyder. <laughs> I think we can all agree on this, right? The mm-hmm. Very sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the material that he's got begs for a little bit more uh, uh, camp showmanship. Mm. And th- all of that's gone here. I think the cast and the script is are sometimes able to elevate the material and make it a little bit more funny than it probably would be otherwise. Mm. But yeah, this is just completely committed to the bit. And after the opening credits where there's a lot of like sort of bizarre set pieces in a row, like a big montage... There's not a lot of yeah. humor in well, this at all. Th- there's during that montage. Actually, that that's that's a good thing to bring up because that montage shows a lot of the things I was talking about. You know, the zombie showgirls and uh, zombie outbreak in Vegas. Okay, fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's have a little bit of fun. Las Vegas is a big glitzy, clunky, kitschy kind of yeah. place. Let's full of iconography. Zombie, yeah. We're aware of well, yeah. I- iconography plus you just sort of that the it's the place where the the party goes to get pathetic. Uh, it's. <laughs> It's like your your last gasp of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. That happens in Vegas. Yeah, stop it uh, in the table. Sorry. And uh, w- during that montage where we get to see Vegas fall to the zombie hordes, 
we get to see like some civilians fighting back in this really violent fashion. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a quick shot of them. Like they're in a enlist in the Marines ad holding up a portrait Mm -hmm. of the person they used to be and the person they are now. Mm. And this is another case of Zack Snyder celebrating the people who are really proficient at doing military violence. And that is the exact opposite of kitchen whimsy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, It is, it's, trying to sell this idea that we're here for the military violence and not yeah. to have fun. Yeah. And I feel like what he's, he's I feel like the tone he's trying to strike yeah. here is something more akin to something like James Cameron's Aliens, which is really tough and it's mm. full of broad characters, but ideally, and I know you're not as big a fan of this movie yeah. as, as I am or a lot no, of people, but another, another movie that could use a little kitsch sense of humor. Maybe well, I think it's funnier than you're giving it credit. And that's kind of my point. Um, but it's another one where you're, it's very celebratory of its characters. It's also very critical of its characters. The whole point is here's this army of space Marines. And we're supposed to think that like, sorry, colonial Marines. Um, and they're talking themselves up and we think to themselves, Oh great. These aliens are going to get their butts kicked. This is going to be a short movie. And then they almost all immediately die. And the ones who have the most bravado are like reduced to quivering cowards because they were not prepared for this level of evil. So there's a level of sort of irony to something like Aliens and the way it presented that level of warfare and that mm. isn't here because these characters don't have that moment of realization. They don't have that moment where they change. They're just... And I think they're they're like, meatheads at the start and they're, they're meatheads yeah. at the end. And yeah. some of them have thoughts and cares and I actually like them as characters. They're not complicated, but I like them fine. Uh, I I want to follow their journey. There's a couple of people when they died, I was like, ah, oh, I like that one. Like you know that kind of thing. They, <laughs> yeah. they were cool. Well, like yeah, that yeah. that stinks. They were neat. Okay, so like that that's enough for me for here because mm. I feel like as bloated and gigantic and as expensive as this movie clearly was, this is not like a cheapo zombie movie. They put a lot of money and time mm. into this. Um. I got the same level of thrill as I did out of like George Romero's Land of the Dead, right, which had yeah. which had more interesting thoughts to to explore. It was, yeah, it was like, actually about something yeah. a little bit more than this one. Yeah, and that's the thing that's uh, that that's the thing that mostly I find frustrating about this movie is that it seems like a lot of effort went in to something that you could have spent thirty million dollars with the same script and given me the same entertainment value, yeah, and maybe you could have rewritten the script a few times because man, there's some shit in this script. I'm willing to. I'm giving you so much slack. On this script, because there's zombies in Vegas, and there's a heist, and there's going to be a nuclear bomb, and I'm like, great, I'm suspending so much disbelief, (laughs) and this movie still finds a way to strain credulity, even after all of that Mm -hmm. goodwill has been expended. Um, For example, uh, $250 million, that's how much they're trying to steal, in cash. Mm. It's a, it's a big, heavy bundle that yeah. you have to lift out in a helicopter. Yeah. You ever actually think about how much that weighs? If that's a, a, An awful lot. Enough that they yeah. need a helicopter to lift it. They need yeah. a helicopter to lift it. But here's the thing. $250 million is the exact same amount of money that was being stolen in J.C. Chandor's movie Triple Frontier. Did you see that with Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac? No. The plot of the movie... Oh, wait. Is, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I did see It's Triple a somewhat Frontier. forgettable film, but the, the, yeah. the central plot of it 
is Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac and a couple other, you know, tough guy actors. It's it's uh, Kelly's Heroes where yeah, kind of war film where they're stealing money. I mean, they're 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 not in the middle of a war like Kelly's Heroes, they're vets who come back basically. Yeah. Uh and they're they're hired to kill like a big like South American drug boss and uh but they decide they're also going to steal all the money cuz why not? Mm. But it's like 250 million dollars. Like that's the, the amount and that weighs and I actually, it's it's not hard to figure out how much that weighs because a, a mm. dollar bill is worth is is an exact amount. It's one gram. Two hundred fifty million dollars weighs almost three tons. <laughs> That's a lot. Well, and the plot of the plot of Triple Frontier is that they have. Are this, you are you counting one dollar bills? Or are you counting one hundred dollar bills? I'm counting one hundred dollar bills. All right. In one hundred dollar bills, that's nearly three times. Maybe they're one million dollar bills. There's no such thing. And again, it's Vegas, <laughs> and the odds of all of the denominations being the same in a safe in Vegas is pretty is pretty thin. Yeah. Maybe. But let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's three times. Three times. In the plot of Triple Frontier, they have a giant military helicopter, like a really big one. That not can like, lift six thousand. Not, not the okay. kind of thing that could land on like a rooftop, like mm-hmm. a big military grade helicopter. Uh, and the plot of the movie is with like four people in that helicopter and 2.75 tons of, of money, uh, that helicopter becomes incredibly sluggish and difficult to take off and like, let alone maneuver. Yeah. So the plot of this movie is we're going to steal 2.75 tons and we're going to have a civilian or like very small military grade helicopter to take it off. That's that's breaking down. It's like been on a roof for a long time. Yeah. And, None of these people who are supposedly professionals, trained military professionals, people who think about things like, you know, logistics, at no point in the movie do they say, doesn't that weigh a shit ton? Isn't that a logistical problem? Like, how mm. we're going to get all of that money on the roof, let alone on a helicopter? And if is the helicopter big enough to actually handle all that weight and us in it? At no point do they think about that. And... That's not the biggest deal in the world. I'm not saying that ruins the movie, but... It's just it's, a it's sign a, that they're not thinking about certain details. It's such an obvious question that mm. you would ask in regarding... you know, Because a lot of any heist movie is the planning, the setup. It's such an obvious question to ask that I was just distracted that nobody asked it. <laughs> it's so obvious. Mm. And again i'm not saying i'm i'm not pretending i'm like you know the genius or whatever like that but i was distracted by just this really obvious detail also and i'm not going to go into a lot of detail about how this comes together uh but apparently in the world of army of the dead atomic bombs have no nuclear fallout and and you can also fly away from it in a helicopter yeah that doesn't like create an emp or anything or... no not nothing at all yeah, it's, you're not gonna you're not gonna like, like a, grow grow like another nose or anything. You're this, not gonna it's not gonna burn your flesh. Th- this or, is the version of a nuclear yeah. bomb that uh, the United States thought they were dealing with before they were dropping them. Yeah, you, you'd just, watch like duck and cover yeah. videos in schools. They thought it was just like but, uh, more TNT. But it raises the question: like, if you're not going to make a big deal out of things that we all know about atomic bombs, if you're not a little kid. You know at least enough about atomic bombs to know that there is a lot of radiation afterwards and things like prevailing winds would be a major factor. Uh, Especially considering that people are still living really close to Vegas. Like, it's not like it's been quarantined for like 100 miles in either direction. Like, Mm. people are still, it's still a populated state. Uh, If that's going to be the issue, why don't you just say you're not using nuclear bombs? (laughs) 
Just use other bombs. You just blowing up one city. Just use a lot of bombs. It's <laughs> just one city. Well, my point is this: Why do you want yeah. that so much of America to be irradiated? Just blow it up with like a whole bunch of like big ass yeah, bombs. We have just, a bunch of bombs. It's we have it, bombs it, out everywhere. Is, uh, this is a premise, and uh, a lot of the details are taken from uh, films of the 1980s. It is kind yeah. of a throwback film. True. Uh, but unfortunately, it's in the hands of Zack Snyder, who doesn't really know how to make it punchy like some of those mm. 80s, like cheapy 80s actioners. He doesn't know how to playfully call his shots and just say, mm. ha we're just having fun. Like, yeah. he, no, he thinks it dead seriously a lot of the yeah, time. There's, there's an entire subplot about how the zombies have been evolving, and they have a king, and there's yeah. like they do battle with the zombie king and queen, and it's... it's Mostly doesn't kind, go anywhere. Kind of useless, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't yeah. add to the plot It's a, it's a neat idea, I've seen it done a couple of times, but like, this has been a good opportunity to explore it, doesn't really go anywhere. No, 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 so they could have caught all of that stuff out. Um, and the soundtrack, oh god, the soundtrack. Oh, we have to talk about it because it is an issue. Okay. Um... Zack Snyder rather famously uh, has really shitty taste in pop music. <laughs> and God... <sighs> His music choices are, if nothing else, I think uh, we can all agree on this, really on the nose. A little on the nose. And, yeah, he's not uh, yeah. subtle, he's not clever, he's he's mm-hmm. pretty much... T- there's, a, there's a song choice in the Zack Snyder version of Justice League. Like, mm-hmm. there's a bit where Aquaman realizes that some bad shit's going down and he's about to go into Atlantis. And in the theatrical cut, it's the White Stripes and it's insufferable. It's just like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome and I'm going to throw down this glass bottle of whiskey and I'm going to jump in the ocean and yeah! <laughs> in the Zack Snyder version, they changed them to the song. And I don't remember the exact song or the lyrics, but I'm going to give you the gist of it it sounds like Leonard Cohen going something like, I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a really sad king. And I'm, and I'm like, oh my God, I th- how, how could you find a worse needle drop than that? Yeah, I was like, well, I literally was watching them back to back just so I could get a really good sense of all the things that changed. Yeah. And I was listening, watching Justice League Theatrical the first time. I'm like, this is a terrible needle drop. I'll bet this changes. And then the second time I watched it, I'm like, I watched the side version. I'm like, how did you make it sillier? <laughs> how did you do that? It's incredible. Yeah, there's there's like bummer covers of pop songs that are completely yeah. uh, like don't match the scene at all. Yeah. Uh, and yes, rather famously, they use the cranberries zombie. Yep. Uh, non like diet non diegetically like it's yeah. on the soundtrack it's just thematic like it's it's not sort of like a jokey thing where a character's yeah. listening to it like it's just in, yeah. on the soundtrack after all the all the shit's gone down they start yeah. playing zombie it's like come on come on man well it's also a I song need, i need some creativity like on the just purely on the well, surface just purely on the surface it's so obvious it's it's laughable well, also the song zombie isn't about zombies yes <laughs> yes it is it's exactly it's exactly the case it's actually it's like it's actually about like tragedy and people dying because of like the IRA and the British fighting over Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and like it's actually like and it, this is that the long ago would be so mad well that Zack Snyder put this in their movie one has to wonder if some of them signed off on it or not well yeah I, I mean, mean Dolores Reardon sadly is no longer with us right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah in the 90s I don't know if people really appreciate how big the Cranberries were for a couple of years in the 90s they were yeah, a huge band between Zo- Zombie and Linger I think were yeah. their biggest hits but mm-hmm. yeah they were they're pretty pretty ubiquitous yeah they were and they were great 
I actually love the Cranberries, and um, and they were very, and they were a very political band, and this was a, considered a protest song. Yeah. And so, warping this protest song, it would be like if uh, imagine if this this is what it's like. I'm going to try to give you like sort of a, a general sort of comparison here. Remember that movie Hurricane Heist, where there was a hurricane in the middle of the hurricane, <laughs> I, they pulled a heist. I didn't see it, but you know, right. it sounds. Uh, imagine sounds if fun. imagine if. The whole movie Hurricane Heist ended, and over the credits, they played Bob Dylan's Hurricane. Hmm. You'd be like, did you listen to the lyrics of that, or did you just look at the title of the song and go with it? Because that is not thematic, that is not appropriate in any way. Oh, it's a the, really weird choice. It was, bu- it was Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, oh yeah. That they did the bummer remix for. Yeah. In, in, it, it, sorry, it's and not it's, a bummer remix, it's a cover, but it's, it's but a it's bummer like, it's like, cover. It's, it's, like a, it's like an acapella, hmm. quiet, moody cover hmm. Of Bad Moon Rising, and it's like, and it's weird because it's like this montage where they're getting ready to like go into battle and stuff, and like this mm. is like the gearing up sequence. Yeah, you know, this is the scene, and this is the scene in the Italian job where Michael Caine's like, "You're only supposed mm. to blow the bloody mm. doors off," like that kind mm. of of mm. prep, but know, yeah, getting the, ready for the big action. But this this, this plaintive coffeehouse vocal, I see a bad moon rise. It, it doesn't really contribute it, to the. To it the doesn't film, contribute does it? to the no. the scene and. Oh, for a second, I could have sworn Zack Snyder confused zombies and werewolves. <laughs> it was just, no. You wanted to use this in a werewolf movie, but you haven't made one yet, yeah. so you just threw it in here. Because when they use that song, because that song's in American Wolf in London, right? I'm not crazy. It's in there, right? I think it is. But again, American Werewolf in London is like a comedic, it's, it's, as a comedic it's a tone. Yeah. It's a comedy. And like this is this is a movie that has some, some jokes in it. Let's not pretend otherwise. But I hesitate to call it a comedy. It's definitely not like a comedy horror movie because mm. the tone isn't quite light enough. Uh, but like in American Woven London, all of the songs in the soundtrack have the word moon in the title, whether they're thematically appropriate or not. And that gives you the freedom. And, and the, and that, Cause there's a, it's a joke. And that makes every, every needle drop. Yeah. A little, every, a little bit of a wink. It's every a running gag. Every now. needle drop yeah. is a dad pun. Yeah. Like that's it. <laughs> that's the whole, then that you get a lot of freedom out of that. Me, and here, that's meanwhile, Zack Snyder is just a dad iPod. Yeah. I was, but I will say this. So just, just, just to, to close it off here. It's a big, stupid movie. At no point does the movie claim that it's smart. I'm going to give it some credit for this. I think they knew it was a big, stupid concept. And I think Zack Snyder, again, I think when you give him something straightforward, he will make something that, like, looks good and has a lot of cool action in it. And I actually like some people have been making fun of... uh, He uses extensive shallow focus in this movie. Like, extensively. I actually think it looks fine. Actually, I like it looks fine. I think it's an it's an interesting aesthetic. It's a different aesthetic than he's used to. Yes. I'm okay with it. I just want to mention it because so many people have been talking about it. I think it looks okay. I didn't have a problem with it. But like, I think that this is as a straightforward, longer than it needed to be, more expensive than it needed to be. But otherwise, we're doing a zombie heist film. I had a good time. I I, I don't love it. <laughs> right. I don't love it. But right. I had an entertaining time. I wasn't bored. It lost me towards the end when the stupid started piling up on mass and like it was just it just really wrecked any level of plausibility I was even having within the movie's own internal logic. Mm. But still wasn't so bad that it ruined the movie for me. It just made it less of a sort of like a yay recommendation and more of a it's on Netflix. (laughs) It's on Netflix. You might as well watch it, you know? Turned into somebody's Brooklyn grandfather there for a second. Hey, it's on Netflix. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah. 
it's like you know you're you're in the bathroom there's a magazine there i don't normally read town and country but i might as well i'm there if you're in front of netflix but i can't find my shoes if you're stuck on the couch if you're in front of netflix There are worse things to click on than Army uh, of the Dead, and yeah, that is so my recommendation. Your recommendation. If you're being held prisoner, it's fine. <laughs> That's no. I, I had an, I had an entertaining time, right. but it's not without reservation. Yeah, That's it's. Uh, I, I think it's it's uh, a too big version of a too cliched movie. Yeah, I really want to mm. see because they did. This is the kind of movie where I want to see the Asylum Mockbuster because I suspect that if you got it would like, actually probably be better. It, yeah. it would be as good or better. There mm-hmm. is an Asylum movie that opened this week, and I'm bummed that I couldn't see it because unfortunately my like debit card number got stolen, so I have no access to any money, so I couldn't like pay to watch it on VOD. But I really wanted to see Aquarium of the Dead. <laughs> Starring Vivica Fox, and the whole thing is it's SeaWorld, but all of the fish are undead monsters, and like a bunch of like really crappy low rent CGI octopi and and like dolphins and shit are like attacking people. Yes, <laughs> and I'm watching this trail. Look at the trailer; it's really it's it's charmingly stupid. I'm looking at this trailer for Aquarium of the Dead, and I'm thinking to myself, I will probably end up getting about as much entertainment value out of something like Aquarium for the Dead. Maybe not specifically that one, but something of its ilk. Mm. As I would out of Army of the Dead. Which is to say, perfectly entertaining, watchable thing to do, but maybe we don't need to spend as much money on this. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe we can do this more... Maybe we don't need to spend there that much. There are many, on these. many movies that benefit from a smaller budget. Yeah. And uh, most of the ones that have a budget of over $200 million, I feel would be a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. If they were made for thirty million dollars, yeah. if like the the filmmakers had to get a little bit more creative, what's and... the budget on this? The budget on this was seventy to ninety million. Okay, which to be fair is is still a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot for a film like this. Anyway, mm-hmm. this, it's it's. Yeah, that's, hold on, uh, I want to actually look at something. I want to compare this mm-hmm. to something. Hang on. Versus uh, the, I know it was. I think it was seventy million that uh-huh. Warner Brothers spent to remake Justice League. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. Okay, so the budget for Army of the Dead, according and this is according to Wikipedia, so it's gonna be a little Take and it's, and it's early solved, and it's also they don't really like go into elaborate detail when they provide budgets for these things anyway because they don't want everyone crunching the numbers at home. But estimated budget seventy to ninety million dollars. This is this has a big cast. This has a ton of CGI. This has big epic action sequences. Uh, and so you see where the money went. Mm-hmm. Cost 70 to 90 million dollars. I want to give you a, n- a name of a film that cost 79 million dollars. Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly, what you were going to do. Exactly, yeah. exactly my point. Jack and Jill had, yeah, had like an 80 million dollar budget. And yeah. it, clearly it went to cast yeah like, they just gave like just yeah, overpaid all the had, actors we had yeah. two adam sandlers we had to pay them both <laughs> dunkachino don't mind if i do look al pacino didn't do the dunkachino bit without getting paid yeah i okay. i i haven't seen jack and jill but I, I did like pick out the dunkachino bit on youtube yeah. and and I woke up from a coma like the next day. That's like, like the most horrible crap. There's a really wonderful. I want to see if I can find it. Hang on. Yeah. There's a really wonderful Twitter account that I follow. 
Is uh, it just about the Dunkachino stuff? It is. <laughs> oh, no. There is literally there is literally like an account for uh, the the. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Uh, there, come on, buddy. The, t- I know t- I retweeted t- you not t- that long ago. To elucidate, uh, Jack and Jill was a 2011 film directed by Dennis Dugan. It stars Adam Sandler as. Uh, a brother and a sister. He plays both roles and gives they're, a they're, special effects. They're and, twins, and, yeah. and comedy ensues just because they're both annoying people, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, he's embarrassed but, uh, by her because she's shrill and uh, yeah. uh, but uh, he plays very outgoing. He plays an ad executive in that movie, and he's trying to think of a good ad campaign for Dunkin' Donuts, playing themselves in the movie, and he's able to get Al Pacino. To sell an, an imaginary Dunkin' Donuts project. Well, that's a, that's a, the whole called goal. A dun, called a Dunkachino, and yeah. they actually get Al Pacino mm-hmm. to rap the Dunkachino theme. Yeah. Okay. In, in this fake Dunkin' yeah. Donuts ad, it's actually pretty glorious, and I do appreciate that. And then the movie ends with Al Pacino saying, "They look at the commercial," and Adam Sandler's like, "Eh," and Al Pacino's like, "You were burning every negative." Of this. <laughs> this, this will never see the light of day. I regret every second of this. Um, the irony is, it's in the movie, so yeah, you know, so it's, it's forever. We're, we're gonna see it anyway. There, there's a Twitter account called the called at Daily Dunkachino, D U N K A C C I N O, and the whole gag is every day they tweet one variation on the Dunkachino scene. Sometimes it's like Dunkachino, but like everything is like a one second off sync. Or it's Dunkachino, but instead of the music they use in the film, we're actually putting it next to like David Bowie's Golden Years or something. <laughs> There's a really amazing one that I quote that I like retweeted today on my account uh, that was Dunkachino, but it's a reconstructed Doctor Who episode from the 1960s. So it's like a whole bunch of like the oh, still and like, images, and they put like the captions up to describe what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, oh so gosh, it's actually really, really, really funny because the whole thing is like, oh yes, we're on the, we're we're hiding from the master, and we have to keep this te- piece of technology from him. This seems like a good place to hide out. Something quiet where nothing interesting happens. Uh, and uh, apparently, this is this is their note on it. A few things to note about this entry. One, it's written in a way where it can actually fit in before the episode Volcano without messing up the storylines. <laughs> Two, the credit sequence is accurate, like extremely. And three, Peter Purvis from the original Doctor Who actually reprised his role for this. Like they called him up and had to record some lines. Oh my god. That's amazing. So kudos kudos the to Daily everyone who's been keeping the Daily Dunkachino. They're talking about how they're going to like eventually like retire the they're going to leave it up but just not going to bother updating it anymore cuz the jokes run its course, but they're going to run for like one more month. So if you have anything you want to submit, do it. There's so many fun ones on there. Uh so if nothing else Jack and Jill brought us that. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about other movies. We've, we talked too long about this movie that was too long. Mm. Um, I saw another horror movie. Okay. I saw a movie called Seance. Uh, Seance is the uh, feature directorial debut of Simon Barrett, a screenwriter who's done uh, The Guest and uh, and You're Next and a few other um, exciting recent uh, horror entries. This is his first film that he's directed. And it is about, a, it's a slasher film set at a, a girl's boarding school. Uh, years ago, a seance went wrong and uh, someone fell out a window and died. And now we f- fast forward to the present. Suki Waterhouse plays a young girl who is now staying in the dead girl's room. And uh, shenanigans begin to ensue again. And you're not really sure if there is 
uh, a masked killer is wearing this creepy paper mache mask, chasing people around and killing them on the anniversary of that death, mm-hmm. or if there's actually something supernatural going on uh, uh, thanks uh, to another seance this that is what, just occurred. I'm, I'm bummed I missed mm. this because I'm actually generally a fan of mm. uh, Simon Barrett's screenplays. This is the, from the writer of The Guest. I, uh, I, I did say that. No, no I'm saying I just okay. want to clarify. Like that—that okay. that means a lot to me. Um, <laughs> the, the guest is an excellent movie. Yeah, that, it's, it's one of the best films of the decade. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not allowed to really review it anymore because, like, one of the actors in the guest is like my partner in the movie trivia showdown. But before <laughs> that happened, I was calling the guest one of the best films yeah. of the decade, and you can look that up if you really wanted to. Um, I love that movie. So I really want to see this. I'm bummed. I actually had a migraine today and I wasn't able to like get anything done. I really wanted to see this. The one question I have for you, because this is important, I think, to any slasher movie. Hmm. What does the mask look like? Because um, I think this is something that I think about. Remember Hell Knight? Looks kind of like the mask from Hell Knight. Not really. Which one was Hell Knight? That was the one, uh, the slasher at the amusement park. Oh, yeah. the, one, uh, the one that came out like a couple of years ago. Or, with, uh, or was it Hellfest? Hellfest was the one from a couple of years ago. Oh, then it was that one. Okay. No, no, it's called Hell. Was it? There's a couple. Hell, Hang on, hell, hold yeah. on. It's either Hell Knight or Hellfest. Hold on, Hell Knight. Uh, 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 hell Knight is a 1981 slasher movie. Okay, then it was That's... Hellfest. I apologize. Okay, Hellfest. It looks like the mask from Hellfest. Okay, which was a, a set at a, like haunted, like a not scary farm sort of mm-hmm. amusement park night, and there was a guy in a mask killing people. Great idea, mm-hmm. not a good execution. Uh, f- I thought it was fine enough. Yeah, it, I, it was. Um, I love the attention to detail. Yeah. I just wasn't. I just thought the scares were subpar. But, um, but in any case, so okay, so fine. I just whenever I think of like, oh, I should write a slasher someday. The one thing I can't get over is what's the mask gonna be? It's gotta be good. <laughs> you gotta have a good mask. Yeah, you gotta that, have a good look. That that uh, the baby mascot mask and happy. Death Day is, was a, a notably good one. Yeah, um, maybe the best of the mo- of the modern era, I yeah. think. The thing is, uh, I can't tell if Seance is trying to be retro or if it's trying to reintroduce slashers. If it's trying to be mm. new or if it's trying to be a throwback. Uh, it's been a while okay. since the heyday of the slashers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while since the revival of the slashers, uh, thanks mm. to that post-Scream era in the 90s. Yeah. Slashers uh, uh, really became a genre after mm. around Halloween and Black Christmas. They were everywhere in the yeah, 80s. They, they were introduced in yeah. the late 70s. Uh, in the 1980s, there was this gigantic boom of a genre of horror films that were uh, typically whodunits, uh, sometimes supernatural, mm-hmm. about a killer who was stalking a group of characters and killing them off one by one. Uh, cheap to uh, produce, profitable. Yeah. It became supplanted by other cheap to produce horror movies like found footage or zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this fell out of favor. Screen yeah, for- brought it back for about five six years really popular and then it yeah. just died again but scream was sort of like a riff on it it was like a yeah. self-aware thing because everybody had at that point all the kid the characters in the movie had seen all the slashers and they could have recognized when they were in a slasher situation yeah so there's a lot of self-awareness in scream uh but it also functions as a slasher mm. it's a good uh, it's it mm. is the thing it's satirizing which makes but, it great satire but slashers and even revival slashers have been uh out of the public eye for so long that to make it now one could perhaps say that Simon Barrett is trying to revive them. Mm-hmm. He's trying to say, this is a form that's been ignored for a little bit. Let's bring it back. But there's no originality here. There's no surprises here. There's no twist on the material mm-hmm. that it could just be he's doing really tired material. I he's think, just doing the classical slasher. I think slasher. he is merely 20 years out of date. Okay. Uh, is that and, so bad? 
Well, yes, if it's not an entertaining movie. That's if, my question. That, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? If it's yeah. 20 years out of date and it's really cliched you know, from something that was old 20 years ago, then, yeah, that's particularly well, grievous, well, isn't like, it? I, when I reviewed Spiral last week, mm-hmm. you know, my whole thing was it's basically Saw by way of, like, Kiss the Girls or Along Came a Spider. It's the very mm-hmm. 90s serial killer movie version of that. Right. And my issue wasn't with the the idea behind that. My issue my issue wasn't that that was a familiar form. My issue was it just wasn't written very well. Mm. Like so, is is it just flat, or is it just so predictable because you've seen it? What what is what is the really thing hiding it back? It can't just be like it's not fun. Like what makes it not fun? Uh, like well, what I just said, it there's there's not they're not bringing anything new to this material. This is really that important. <laughs> I understand that when it comes to slasher movies, banality is part of the charm. Well, at least it familiarity. Has to, it yeah. has to be incredibly predictable. That's kind of why we go. We like to sort yeah. of count off the beats as they uh, progress as audience members. I've been charmed we, by formulaic rom coms, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but you know there has to be a little bit of character or a little bit of charm, and okay. Simon Barrett hasn't brought any of that. That's a shame. Uh, there is a little bit of a queer element, which I think is kind of fun, but when it's revealed. What is actually going on? Who the killers might might or might not have been? Uh, it, it doesn't really bring any kind of surprise. There's no new twist to this sort of material. It's just oh, of course it was X because it was pointing that way. There's all the predictable scenes where everybody says, "Oh no, there's a killer among us." Well, I better break off and go be by myself in this one location where somebody can slash my throat, and right. lo, it happens. Uh, it would have been boring in 1996. It would have been boring in 1985. Okay. And now it's just boring in 2021. <laughs> that is brutal. Yeah. yeah. Put so, that on Rotten Tomatoes. That's <laughs> brutal. <laughs> Jesus. So it, it, it's, not, it's, not in, it's not incompetently filmed. Simon Barrett knows how these slasher films work, and he's you know pretty proficient at constructing it solidly, but yeah. he's constructing something that we had discarded a long time ago. Well, let me let me here's here's another way of looking at it. Maybe uh, this is his feature directorial debut. Yeah, is it? Do you think it's maybe just testing the waters, just seeing if he knows how to make a movie? Okay, is is that why release that to the public? <laughs> Try it on your own. <laughs> Figure it out and then make your movie. All right, okay. I, I don't I don't have to sit here and let you test your waters. Okay, he he knows how to write exciting different kinds of movies. Well, fair enough. I, I think mm. if it sounds like I'm grilling you, it's because this tends to be the kind of genre I can be a little forgiving of because I think oh, from familiarity well, is caked into it. Yeah, well, and and I, um, you know, I, I just defended Hellfest. You know, that's yeah, another that's pretty... That's a movie I thought sucked. Yeah. I, I think that's another pretty typical slasher movie. It, yeah. it does rely on a lot of tropes, but I liked the characters, I liked some of the actors, and I liked the setting. And I think yeah. there was just a, a, a lot more visually interesting things happening in that. Yeah. Um, it's only to rescue it. It's only yeah. to make it pop out. Yeah. Now, this is just young women being picked off in a women's dormitory. It's like, you know what? You can't do that after Suspiria. You can't do that. The other Suspiria either. It's like, we've seen it now and you know, do, do something, do something. If you're going to do something really retro, try to at least comment on it in some way. Well, okay. Well, that's a shame. Hmm. Uh, what else have we got for this week? Uh, I also saw. Uh, what do you want me to hear about the World War II documentary? Sure, or do you why want not? Hear let's... about the coming coming of age comedy. Let's do the let's do the World War something something document. Which two? <laughs> yes, World War II. Let's do the World War II yeah. documentary because it's the easiest segue. 
Yeah, from from a, from a slasher film, we go to a, a documentary film, which is a series of inter- it's directed by Luke Holland, and it's a series of interviews with uh, the last surviving uh, people who participated in World War Two. Okay, uh, and it's it's We're running um, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're uh, elderly people who tell talk about how they were uh, as as kids part of the Hitler Youth Program. Oh my god! Uh, how they uh, were. There is there are a few interviews with people who were like trying to spirit away potential victims, mm-hmm. but most of these people were German citizens. Some so this is a German documentary. The, this is a German documentary okay, about ger- about German people, wow. um, and uh, how they feel about it now, and how uh, the atrocities of World War II are perceived in the minds of the people who were there. Uh, there are a few incredibly damning interviews. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the people interviewed are just incredibly saddened by what happened because yeah. um, they were very young at the time, or they were um, they might have been sort of in in the military, but they weren't fighting on the front lines, and they weren't participating in the camps. They were just sort of like training. They were in reserve, yeah. and they weren't getting all the information, so they thought everything was just hunky dory. It was like Boy Scouts. Well, that's the, yeah, the, that's like the line, the, "All quiet on the Western Front," which is supposedly yeah. like everything's fine. Well, even it's, though it's, it's not, yeah. it, and that's something that uh, I think was was exploited to great effect in the film Jojo Rabbit mm. uh, about a young boy who thinks that being a Nazi is just real keen, and mm-hmm. and, and this Hitler is like a hero type character because all he gets is the propaganda. Exactly, and, yeah. and he's and because he's eight, he believes it all. Um, mm. So this is about people who were like Jojo Rabbit. They they just sort of went off to the military. And boy, howdy, isn't this fun? And it wasn't until many years later, and it took them decades to sort of reconcile the fact that they were taking part in this war effort. Some of them think that that was fine, mm. that they their experience was actually very positive. Uh, there's uh, somebody who, yeah, one of the, the guys they talked to is like, well, yeah, we were doing this. And what do you think of the solution? Well, I mean, I don't agree with it, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, a really and then there's a really kind of self-reflective scene where uh, one of these fellows is at uh, sort of a meeting, uh, a political meeting with some younger people, te- like talking about the war and his experience in the war. And he uh, is explaining that it's he is ashamed to be German because his government, when he was young, took part in all of these atrocities. And he also took part in these atrocities. Like he didn't murder anybody. But right. he he was he was there for it. Yeah, he didn't and, stop it. Yeah. And uh, off camera, we hear the words of uh, this this other like younger upstart saying, "But now wait a minute. Surely there was like some. Are you saying you sh- you're ashamed to be German? You should be proud to be German. And you know we should we should actually think about keeping German. And he uses the word pure and, <laughs> and, and, and starts bringing up like things about Algerians out of nowhere. And it's, mm. it's like really bizarre. And he, he shouts this younger guy down saying, no, we, we should be ashamed. This is not something to aspire to or to think about. This is something to reject. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a really or a penetrating moment. Uh, and at the end of the film, uh, one of the interviewees says that, and this is kind of the most condemning thing about nationalism and national identity and war in general. Yeah. We all saw what was happening. We may have hated it. We may have protested it, but none of us walked away. Mm-hmm. And I think during times of uprising and times of war and times of atrocity, that's going to be a pretty natural human response is to just sort of go along and keep your head down. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's survival. Yeah. You're trying to just get get by yeah. yourself. You're, you're trying. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's not that you're necessarily under threat. It's just no. that you don't want to make the effort. Yeah. To to walk away and yeah, well, uh, to put so to make the are, effort to walk yeah. away is is. Mm. So uh, Scary to there's people, there's yeah. a lot in this in this film that will just it'll make your heart ache and it'll make your head hurt because mm-hmm. that amount of evil is difficult to have to hold in your imagination. Yeah. And it's difficult to understand what a a gigantic violation of human nature all of World War II was. Yeah. And uh how 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 much it violated and how much it tore down mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, not just the way we do combat but in the way we think about death and destruction. Like the trauma of that mm. worldwide event has mm. just these ripple effects we can't even calculate anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're still living through it. Yeah. It's still part of the conversation. No, when, when a you very think about, active living part When of you it. think about like how this, you can look at like it's just studies of how uh, trauma or, or undiagnosed, mm. uh, uh, you know, <sighs> scars, mental scars mm. can like affect multiple generations of a family. You know, like this, like one grandparent was abusive and then that just affects every successive generation in a cascade and not sometimes unpredictable ways. And then you realize that that was like a whole generation on the planet Mm. was directly or indirectly completely changed by this. Yeah. And how that we're still living through that. And Mm. there now we're in this weird wave whereas people are like not taking it as seriously as they used to because they can't even process just how evil it was. Yeah. Yeah. And just just how fucking horrifying it is. So it's it's become a cliche in uh in Hollywood that uh World War Two is sort of like easy pickings when it comes to drama. And it yeah. makes sense. It's a hugely dramatic time. Yeah. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of movies set during World War II about the war. Uh, you know, all going, you know, going back to the war itself. Yeah. They were being made at the time. You know, you oh, go back before to something it, technically. Like, yeah, you go back yeah. to something like Mrs. Miniver that was made during the mm-hmm. war, or, um, all the way up to like The Zookeeper's Wife. There's, you know, all yeah. these movies about World War II uh, to the point where... Uh, some audiences got pretty cynical about it. And there's that famous speech in the TV show Extras about how Kate Winslet said, if you want to win an Oscar, just make a World War II movie. Which is how she ended up winning an Oscar. She won an Oscar for a World War II movie. Yeah. Uh, and smart money is bet on the World War II movie if, you're, yeah. if you have an Oscar pool. I think what Final Account is doing is kind of bringing it back around again because it's actually interviewing the people who were there. We need to be reminded of like what it was like to be there and not the Hollywood obvious version where Indiana Jones punches out Hitler, like, you know, we we need an account. We need a final account, which is the the title of the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a rough sit, but I think it's incredibly vital. Okay. That's awesome. Where is it available? Uh, I think it's I think it's on demand. You okay, get it like on some on, on demand places. Okay, great. Well, uh, and then uh, major subject shift mm-hmm. uh, because I suspect it has little to do with the horrors of World War Two. Uh, drunk bus. <laughs> drunk bus is a lighthearted romp. Well, it's actually not so lighthearted. This is uh, an, an indie coming of age drama about a young man who drives the drunk bus around his old college. He's graduated from college. Uh, his girlfriend moved away to New York and he didn't want to follow her. So now he's just sort of sticking around driving the drunk bus and, uh, just 
bemoaning his his situation. The drunk bus, by the way, is the last bus at the of the night that all of the drunken college students get on when they ride back to their dorm rooms, and right. so they're all drunk on it. He regularly cleans up vomit and poop. He has to deal with all of these drunks, and uh, his life is miserable. When he's accosted on the bus uh, one evening, uh, he's given a bodyguard. Uh, this is, is he's this guy named Pineapple. He's played by an actor named Pineapple. Yeah. Uh, Pineapple, um, ten, Tengaroa, Pineapple Tengaroa is the actor's name. And he's this, uh, Maori guy with facial tattoos mm. and a lot of piercings. And even though he's really like this intimidating bouncer tie, cause he's really huge, he's actually, uh, incredibly warm and he starts to take control of this kid's life and t- teach him to sort of loosen up a little bit, uh, teaches him to shoplift and get drunk himself and lose his virginity. It's all uh, kind of very male-centric, coming-of-age stuff. Uh, And so, by the end, it's about how he's going to sort of regain his self-respect, maybe get back with his girlfriend, or maybe develop a relationship with a new young woman in his life. Um, I've always resented that these sort of of coming-of-age dramas are typically facilitated by drugs, Mm-hmm. It's always about a sober person who learns to loosen up a little bit by getting drunk or or taking weed. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun if it was like heroin? <laughs> just skip, you need to just you need skip to, yeah. it. Yeah, it's like you you need to loosen up a bit. Here's some heroin. I took heroin, and wow, my life is so much better Look, now. It's, it's a screenwriting shorthand. You want to have a situation where yeah. someone who normally wouldn't let loose lets loose, and rather than go through all the com- complex issues of getting them to a place where they feel comfortable, where relaxing, they can, they can experimenting, being social, own, yeah. right? That takes time, effort. We don't have that much time. Mm-hmm. We have one scene to get to the point where they're like they're gonna do something brave and they can only be brave if they're intoxicated yeah it's 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 a cheat it's a cheat it's 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 like the the game what was it the what was the game was like the game wizard the game wizard remember that thing there was like this thing you you could put like your uh the game game genie the game genie there's this thing in old cartridge based video games where you could put this thing called a game genie in like your Mm -hmm. super nintendo and then you could put your cartridge in the game genie and the game genie would basically give you like the development kit so you could like run the game faster slower run faster you could do slow motion you could get extra lives you could jump fire instant power-ups all the rest of that yeah it's it's basically a big old cheat code yeah it was yeah a little little cheat widget i never had a game genie i never wanted one yeah I didn't want my the purity of my games interrupted, man. I did. Uh, <laughs> you just wanted to beat him. Made, made him a lot easier, man. Not gonna lie. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, but yeah, uh, what I do appreciate about this movie is uh, some of the chemistry between the characters. Uh, I mean, a film like this is going to live or die based on sort of the uniqueness of its scenario and the warmth between its characters. And I think uh, uh, Pineapple Tangaroa is actually a really stirring presence his his warmth uh f- makes him feel more like a real character mm-hmm. rather than just this magical character who exists in order to facilitate the growth of a white boy uh i, I don't want to use spike lee's term <coughs> for the character but uh it, it yeah. kind of evokes that a little bit that's a shame um but luckily he is an interesting enough person and he's kind of playing himself that it just makes me want to see more movies with him And I think he has good chemistry with all of the people around him and he ends up making friends really, really well. And uh, he has a few great moments where he like talks to people on the phone and just instantly wins them over. Uh, So there's a few fun scenes with the pineapple character, but uh, overall it seems like a pretty typical kind of, kind of a drama. 
The main character okay. is played by uh, Charlie Tan, who was uh, on that TV show, um, I think, on Ozark, which I haven't seen. But I, no, I, I, was, I, was, I was assured that Ozark is good. Amy, I've heard, I've heard Amy Nicholson pointed this out to me, that he was really good on Ozark, but I haven't oh. seen Ozark. Cool. And um, the uh, young woman who is like his best friend is played by Kara Hayward oh, uh, from Moonlight her. Kingdom. And she was also yeah. in that movie To the Stars last year. Yeah, that she's I really, really good. Really, really liked. So yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on her. I hope she her career takes an upswing. That's awesome. OK, well, uh, it's time to review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. This is just sort of a refresher. Uh, we review films on a scale of C minus to C plus. The lowest a movie can get unless the movie is Cats. It's a C minus. That means it's below average. And that's everything from we just don't recommend it to it's the worst thing we've ever seen. C is average. There's some good. There's some bad. It's all just sort of meh. Mm-hmm. And then C plus is above average. Well, that means we genuinely recommend it or we think it's the best thing ever made or somewhere in the middle. And uh, that's how we don't end up on movie posters. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's uh, let's take it away. So uh, Drunk Bus on the critically acclaimed um, scale. Drunk Bus is a C. Okay. There, there's just enough charm to recommend it. All right. Uh, let's see what we got here. Final account. Final account is a C plus. Um, it, it might it's 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 heady, mm. and it might feel a little bit too much like a classroom watch mm. to, to some people, but I think it's it's really kind of a vital film. I think you really should do 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 your your own uh, idea of history a favor and okay. and watch Final Account. All right, and Seance. Uh, seance. Golly, I wish I could recommend it because I can clearly see some talent behind the camera, but I just wish he had made a more interesting movie. So it's a C minus. That's a shame. And uh, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. um, Big, colorful, energetic portions, but ultimately it just sort of flopped for me. So I'm going to give it a C minus. Okay. I'm going to give it a very mild C plus. (laughs) Okay. Like very, very mild. Just like, listen, it is what you want it to be and probably a little too much more. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had an entertaining time. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't. Even the things that I don't like about it didn't really ruin it. I just was rolling my eyes going, this is more stupid than it needs yeah. to be. Or not stupid enough in some cases. But uh, ultimately, I had a good time. So okay. I really can't complain too much. I like Tignotara. She's good. She steals yeah. the movie. She's also one of the better parts of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, she's, I didn't know that. She, yeah, she plays okay. an engin- one of the engineers... Mm. Who like will show up in like an ep- every third episode or so? She'll like kind of come out of a hallway and say, "Oh God, what is it now?" It's like we're we're all gonna die. Oh, thank God! Like, <laughs> she's just like the, the the cynical, depressed engineer yeah. who like kind of like floats through the room every once in a I, while. I, she's she's rapidly. I mean, it's weird because you know she's not like you know fresh out of college or anything like that, mm. but she's rapidly becoming one of my favorite character actors. Just anytime she shows up, it's just like, well, this scene's going to be good. I don't have to worry about a thing while she's on the camera. Uh, she's great. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, she's only just relatively recently got into like acting a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, we're better off for having her. So <laughs> more take, please. Um, all right. That's it for the new releases. Uh, let's talk about the critically acclaimed streaming club. Uh, once again, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And, all of our patrons, even $1 a month, you get to vote for episodes of this show, where we uh, pick our streaming club uh, option of the month. We vote for episodes of Cancel Too Soon and other stuff as well. Uh, everyone gets a vote. Mm. And every week, we or however often we can get this podcast out, but we go for weekly, uh, we ask you to pick... We pick a streaming service, and we pick... A subsection of that streaming service it might be a genre or a decade or something similar uh and then we give you four options 
Mm-hmm. Whitney chooses two and I choose two. Each of us chooses two films that we either have never seen or maybe we haven't seen since we were a little kid and we barely remember. That's as far as we're allowed to go. And uh, then you tell us what to watch. And this time, uh, your options were Italian films on the Criterion Collection. Mm. Criterion Channel. Well, yeah. yeah Six of one, half a dozen, but fair <laughs> enough. Collection, I think, is specifically their, their home video line. Yeah. But I feel like if they're on... But that is their physical media line. I can't say home video anymore because it's all home video. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, But in any case, yeah, it's on the Criterion channel and uh, they have a lot of Italian movies. Oh, heck yes. They have a lot of international cinema and they have a lot of Italian movies. Italian cinema is very formative in the industry. Uh, In particular, uh, there's several movements in Italy and I think maybe the most significant one and it's really relevant to the movie we're about to talk about is the Italian neorealist movement. Uh, which is a really fascinating time. If you look at the early history of Italian cinema, um, especially around the time of World War II, uh, it wasn't really like a lot of hard-hitting, gritty stuff. It was a lot of placate the masses kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's actually a term for it called white telephone movies, <clears throat> where characters would have these like fancy white telephones, and it was just... became To, to a, denote their wealth. Yeah, yeah, it became a symbol of escapist uh, bourgeois bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and in response to that, at the end of World War II, uh, we started to see a wave of films in Italy coming from filmmakers who were desperate to make films to tell stories that evoked real life. And these were stripped down. These were not glitzy. These were shot like in, in on-the-fly documentary style, a lot of them. And they showed real people in real Struggles, even if they were highly refined stories, something like uh, Umberto Day or uh, uh, The Bicycle Thieves, mm. which are both like wonderful screenplays, but they felt naturalistic. Yeah. Uh, and that mentality filtered forward into a film that, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, is often called one of the best films ever made. And having finally seen it, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to fight that too hard yeah, uh, It's yeah. called The Battle of Algiers Directed by Gillo Pontecorvo oh. Sorry no. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I got that wrong all these years Oh it's uh, Gillo Pontecorvo yeah. is, is the, it, And yeah. this is a, an Italian Algerian co-production And um, it takes place during The Battle of Algiers which was actually a really Notable time in Algerian history uh, When France was uh, France occupied Algiers, uh, Algeria for the longest time, and they were uh, being pushed out by the uh, Liberation Front, the local guerrilla fighters who uh, were sort of advancing. And, and this is the this, late. This is in the mid to late fifties yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah the, the film was made in nineteen sixty six. So but, it's really um, recent history. At so, the time. but yeah, it takes place over uh, over the course of the late fifties, uh, and and it just is not. There are uh, two, like two main characters, but more than anything, it's just about sort of the two sides. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, how the guerrillas, uh, the guerrilla fighters will advance a little bit and the military will push back really hard to uh, re resolidify their, their uh, dominance. Dom- yeah. Their dominance in the area. Well, and then the guerrillas will push back some more. There's uh, f- gunfire and bombings and all this, all this and misery. Torture. And and, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. The film opens with a scene of torture. Like mm-hmm. uh, just they just got done torturing a guy. Yeah, and now they're really like, blasé okay, about it. And yeah. yeah, it's like he's shirtless and he's like shivering. And he's still yeah. in pain. It's like get this guy some coffee. He, he, he ratted out his friends. Yeah. So yeah, what a great note to start on. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's and, really brutal and just uh, really just kicks into high gear right away. And uh, Gila Pontecorvo films this in a really immediate documentary style, mm-hmm. which was uh, pretty novel at the time. In that mm-hmm. there's a lot of handheld camera work. Yeah. There's a lot of chasing people up and down streets. You get a great sense as to where everything is. Oh in my relation god! The, to each other. The sense. <laughs> it's it's they call it spatial continuity, and it's the, the, better in this movie than it is in most movies. The spatial continuity in this movie. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Like w- this is one of those movies where you watch it and then if you've never if you've if you especially if you've been watching movies for a long time if you watch it now for the first time a lot of shit suddenly clicks into place like you realize which filmmakers love this movie <laughs> like Christopher Nolan loves this movie oh yeah you can tell and like a lot of it like and he's talked about it apparently like the dark knight rises the uh, level of like civil unrest in that movie is taken like directly mm. from this movie but also the way that he's just the way that he presents his cityscapes and the way that he wants you to be aware. Some movies don't want you to be aware of the city that they're in often because they're, because they're not filming in the city that it takes place. Yeah. They're, the so place. they're just, they're filming in a lot of alleys, mm-hmm. filming a lot of places that could be anywhere. That's not the battle of Algiers. The battle of Algiers is just absolutely impeccably placed. Like, you know where you are, you know where the streets go. You have these incredible, like wide shots of the entire city and, it does feel like reporter footage. It feels like mm-hmm. news footage. And the, when this movie came out in America, there were actually disclaimers reminding people, telling people that none of this is a documentary footage mm-hmm. because otherwise it could very easily be mistaken for it. Um, and that's a technique that's became more popular over time. This like you are here thing. Paul Greengrass has been using mm-hmm. that to great effect ever since. It gave his uh, Born movies a sense of immediacy that frankly distracted people from how stupid a lot of those movies are <laughs> like That's tell funny. me the plot of the born ultimatum i'll wait it's yeah. it's weird and it's ridiculous and is, it's fine is that the one with the chems no chems is uh born legacy he didn't do oh, that right. one to be fair um <laughs> anyway my, my point is this this level of immediacy this level of making sure the audience is hyper aware of their sense of place and that that place feels realistic can elevate even junky material and make it seem like extra important because you really do feel like you're there. You really do feel like it's real. And when you have actually good material, it becomes fucking phenomenal as it does in the Battle of Algiers. So the basic storyline is, you're right, it's kind of a two-hander. Mm-hmm. We follow uh, the National Liberation Front or in the um, uh, the way the acronym works in the actual language, it's the FLN. Yeah. Um, and we're following uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people who they, they they don't like being occupied by the French. The French are dicks, <laughs> so uh, they initially do general sort of civil unrest things. There are fights, a yeah. couple of shootouts, and then when the police respond with more oppression, with more fascism, with more kidnappings, with more torture. And then eventually more civilians being dead as a result of the French that just keeps the situation just keeps escalating on both sides Mm. and to the point where you can totally see where the FLN is coming from. You can feel that anger. You can feel that sense that there's no hope here and all we can do is lash out. Otherwise, we have no dignity and the 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 planning, the guerrilla warfare tactics that are vividly illustrated in this film are fascinating it's fascinating to see them planned to see them play out see bombings prepared in public situations uh 
it's fascinating to see the way that Gio Pontecorvo manages to humanize both sides. They're human beings, mm. even though the film is very clearly pro one side more uh, than the other. Yeah, it, it's, it's clearly on the side of the yeah. FLN. And, but, it, um, but it does think that all human life is yeah. precious. I do think anything yeah. appreciates that much. But like beyond yeah, it's, that, it, yeah. it, 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 it's not so hateful of the military that it's going to like have fun murdering them. No, uh, because these are human lives and yeah. murder is, is you know, a, a grievous crime. Uh, but the movie clearly yeah. agrees that one side is more wrong than the other yeah. a lot. In fact, uh, the face of these two sides we have on the one side, a, a character named Ali Lapointe, uh, who is played by an actor named uh, Brahim Hajaj, uh, who represents the face of the FLN, and he's um, sort of like a, a, an agent of a lot of the violence, um, mm. in that he's sort of enlisted by the FLN to do a lot of these missions. He's very much an everyman, um, he's illiterate, yeah. but he's very mm. passionate, and he's uh, very, very yeah, principled. I think there's a really wonderful scene where uh, he gets his instructions in writing, but he can't read. So he hands it to a young boy to read it to him. <laughs> so boys... hearing hearing the, these words coming out of the young boy's mouth is, is pretty dramatic. And the boy is saying some fucked up shit. Yeah. Like, okay, there's a there's a police informant working at this restaurant. We need you to go to that restaurant, wait for the police to, policeman to show up, follow the policeman, and then kill the policeman. Mm. And this is, a, this is like an eight-year-old scene. Yeah. <laughs> you have to kill the it's really heavy, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the French army uh, eventually has to enlist like uh, an expert, essentially. Essentially, yeah. and that is uh, Colonel Mathieu, uh, played by Jean Martin. Uh, Jean Martin is the only professional, like lifelong actor, yeah. uh, in the crew. But he is actually interesting. Like he actually like lost work because he was very like pro Algerian independence, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he was very passionate about this project. And he's playing this character. Um, and here's what I like about uh, the Colonel character is that. He's presented the same way a lot of military experts are in most military movies. Mm. Uh, a lot of military movies are very uh, pro-war, or at the very least make war seem very exciting. Or at the very least pro-military. Yeah. Pro-military. Yeah. And so he's he's a very efficient soldier. He knows how to wrangle his army in a new kind of way. He's a very mm. good commander. He has a good sense of the geography of the mm. place, and he knows where to place his soldiers. To he's get been people. given an assignment, yeah. and he will approach and, it with the same degree of zeal yeah. and... Uh, efficiency that they would in a movie like Guns of Navarone. There you go. But a film like Guns of Navarone is very... I hope the mission succeeds. It's all about... It's morally clear. Yeah. 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 We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. and We're going to blow them up. It's war. All right. Everybody's going to die here. Yeah. Uh, But... What Gilo Pontecorvo is showing us is that it doesn't matter how good you are as a soldier... War doesn't continue without guys like this. Mm-hmm. These are the, the the people who, in their efficiency, is just perpetuating the violence and the misery. There's a great. They're not here yeah. to seal the deal. They're not here to get the mission done and then it's over. They're mm-hmm. just here to make sure the machinery keeps moving as at an, a mo- more efficient way. There's there's a great scene in this movie where there's actually quite a few scenes where uh, like there's a press conference. Hmm. And uh, there's a scene in the movie where the press is asking uh, this uh, this what is he like a colonel or a captain? He's a colonel. He's yeah. a colonel. They they they're asking him questions about this what's going on and all the tactics that he's using. And there's a lot of people just sort of dancing around the subject. And finally, one reporter just says, "Hey, we're all afraid to say the words. So I'm just going to say it. You're torturing people to get information. That's bad." Hmm. Talk about that. Like this, this, <laughs> and the guy's like, you want to ask a real question? Like, I, we all asked the questions. I'm just actually going to ask you to be direct about it. Mm-hmm. You're torturing people. That's immoral. Talk about that. And the guy just says in very calm terms, 
I have been given a very difficult task. I am responsible for extracting information from people very quickly, and I'm willing to do that. Hmm. And that's it. He's not apologizing for it. He's not even saying he's not doing it. Mm. He's just saying, this is a practicality, and mm. I will do that. He's he's Jack Bauer in 24. Yeah. Like, if, if, it, if it takes cutting off a guy's head to find out mm. where the nerve agent is, <laughs> I will do it, because I feel mm. the ends justify the means. And that's a, hor- the, that's a horrible philosophy to have in any situation like this. The, the difference between Jack Bauer and the, and the colonel is that Jack Bauer is, um, he, he's angered by what he sees, and he mm. feels like things... It's a very, 24 is a very immediate show. It's yeah. all about, I need it right now. Yeah, so right. he kind of, kind of resorts to violence really quickly yeah. because there's not a lot of time otherwise. Uh, and uh, there's even an episode where uh, he, Jack Bauer like shocks a guy he has tied to a chair with like a, a cord from a lamp. Like he's yeah. electrocuting a guy and he's like, I don't know. I don't know. He's like, uh, clearly he doesn't know anything. And the guy standing next to him stabs him in the kneecap. He's like, okay, I'll tell you now. And Jack Bauer's like, well, darn, I guess I wasn't torturing hard enough. Like, that's the, the lesson he's learning from this scene. That show is aged poorly. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Yeah. Like, it's it's thrilling television. Oh, it's undeniably it, thrilling it television. But it's despicable morals. Yeah, morally, it's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy watching it, but yeah, its yeah. morals are just awful. Yeah. Um... The Colonel character doesn't have that kind of uh, action-packed immediacy that Jack Bauer does. He he's amoral. He doesn't care. Well, he says he's just trying to get the job done in in the only way he knows how. He I, has no tools in his toolbox. I agree with that. I agree with that. However, yeah. I will say this: he does specifically say hmm. that he has that the people that he is torturing, and he should not be doing that. But the people that he is torturing have been told by their superiors in the Liberation Front. Uh, that don't say anything for 24 hours, then say everything you want. Mm. Because by that point, they will have made any information they could give you irrelevant. Mm. So he says he is chasing a clock. So he is, he is in his head, Jack Bauer, I think. Maybe so. But yeah. I, but it's bullshit. It's bullshit justification. But, but, but Gila yeah. Corvo doesn't uh, let him have any heroism. No, in fact, he doesn't let actually, any of the military characters have heroism. In fact, there's there, after after a right around that moment, we actually have an extended montage of the torture techniques that they're doing, and they're clearly crimes against humanity. Mm. They're clearly despicable. And, like, and, they, and no one would approve of this. No one. It's, yeah. No. No one in their right mind would say this is fine. Unless there was some sort of weird nationalist indoctrination thing going on. And again, the guy even just says, like, listen, the French are here in Algeria. No one's suggesting the French should leave Algeria, except for the Liberation Front. Yeah. No, 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 one, one, no one except for everyone. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we all agree that the French should be here, so we'll stay here at any cost. And I'm like, you are making a lot of faulty assumptions in order to make that argument. Uh, but it, it just shows you how close-minded that level of colonialism is yeah, and, yeah. and the, but then we also Co- see colonialism is the end yeah, and yeah. they'll, they'll do anything to keep, keep it on. We see the other side of the, the conflicts. We see the liberation front mm. and again, the movie sympathies are clearly there. However, it, it's also the logical sympathy mm. uh, where there are scenes in this movie where people who seem like good people and they have our sympathies commit atrocities. They put bombs in public places where, Civilians who have no direct connection to anything other than they're living in and benefiting from uh, this form of occupation, mm-hmm. which is bad. But I don't know if it's a death sentence bad. Uh, but we see them placing bombs, and it's like right out of that Hitchcock movie, Sabotage. Like there's a ticking mm-hmm. clock, 
will they be able to hide the thing behind the jukebox in time? Will anyone notice them? There's a lot of suspense. Uh, but we do get all of these moments with all the victims of those bombings as well. Yeah. I realize that, that that also does suck. But nothing that anyone... Like... <laughs> they're tr- they're desperately trying to be heard and no one's hearing them through any other channel. Hmm. And so you get that sense, you understand their sense of desperation. You understand how just absolutely vital it is for them to change their circumstances however uh they can even if we disapprove of methods, but other methods aren't working. Hmm. There's a scene there's an extended sequence in the movie where they try to simply have a strike. No one's going to go to work, and they're hoping that the United Nations notices their strike and pays attention to them. However, if you're striking, it means you support the Liberation Front. So that anyone who's home right now has a target on their head from the French police. So they take that moment to escalate the situation and try to force people, like, bust them into places and force them to work. And they're they're not allowed to do anything else. <laughs> There's nothing is working. It is this incredible encapsulation of the self-perpetuating cycle of political occupation and mm. and war and it's unbelievably gripping it, it's exciting it's exciting filmmaking with yeah. a point to it yeah and that it's it is trying to point that out that cycle yeah where um pu- pushing back and pushing back and it, it is a, it's about war but more than anything it is about that the colonialism yeah it is about this the system of oppression and the lengths to which it is going to go in order to hang on to its grip on the world. Yeah. And when you look at a lot of modern political parties, you're going to start seeing a lot of uh, actual of parallels. Yeah. This, uh, the, the death grip of the colonizers myth. Yeah. Uh, is not going to be loosened on its own. Mm-hmm. And we have to pry the fingers up. Yeah. One by one. And I feel like that's what the Battle of Algiers is trying to do. It is trying to wrest colonialism mm-hmm. away from the colonizers. If and were, how that is never going to be an easy task. If you are even half paying attention to global politics right mm-hmm. now. Like if you're just paying attention to what's trending on Twitter. And mm-hmm. seeing what's going on in say the Middle East. And you watch the Battle of Algiers. Mm-hmm. You will feel like oh this movie could have been made today. Yeah, it the, would have been about the Algeria, but it would have been clearly a parallel for what's going on right now. This is a cycle that does not end on its own. Yeah, it yeah. needs to be stopped. It needs actual people in power to stop it, and it takes a lot to get their attention mm-hmm. because they don't care a lot of the time. Uh, this is a movie that was incredibly influential, not just to filmmakers but to the world. Mm-hmm. Like actual, like other liberation fronts would like watch this movie and not and not <laughs> just for this, motivation but to actually like study tactics mm, the black this, panthers watch this this was shown yeah. like on military bases yeah, yeah. and there, indeed there, there are soldiers who have talked about watching the, the battle of algiers the pentagon screened this movie around the time of the uh, iraq war mm. uh, the, the most recent one to when it started around like in 2003 and uh, they specifically screened it because it's an example of the french in this movie have a strategic victory all right. Technically, at some point in the movie, they accomplished their goal of stifling this insurgency. But what they didn't do was anything to prevent an uprising in the long term. Yeah. They weren't successful at stamping out resistance. 
they just stopped it for a minute. They weren't thinking in the long game, which is really fucking funny when you think about how America handled that war in the long term mm. <laughs> because they didn't do that shit. Now, did they? <laughs> they just perpetuated a whole bunch of bullshit. <sighs> so annoying. They learned all the wrong lessons. I don't know how they did it. Um, no, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know how sucks. they did it. Fucking sucks. But anyway, this is this is a must-see film. Uh, and I'm so glad I finally saw it. I wasn't resisting it. It just never came up. Mm. And I'm so glad I took the time. Thank you, everybody, who yeah, voted for it. You made a great choice. So this was one that was taught me in school. I yeah. think it is taught in a lot of film schools. Um, mm. And, yeah, it was just one that, thank, thanks to a professor, I fell in love with it. And uh, eventually it, it showed up on uh, the... Criterion Collection and I got the DVD mm-hmm. and now yeah it's on the Criterion channel and yeah. it's on HBO if you Fun- either of those services funnily enough the first film class I ever took when I went to film school at UCLA mm-hmm. uh, was a class called Film and Social Change mm-hmm. and it was all about movies that either directly uh, inspired or represented mm-hmm. uh, major cultural shifts in the world and it was all about world cinema I watched a lot of great world cinemas and I was a wonderful professor who was sadly no longer with us named Toshoma Gabriel. And he very pointedly did not show Battle of Algiers. He showed us another Gio Pantacorvo, uh, Gio Pantacorvo film mm. uh, called Burn or Quemada, which is fucking great. <laughs> and, haven't, and I haven't seen Burn. People don't talk about Burn enough. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make a point. You should, you should check it out because it's another amazing movie about colonialism where uh, Marlon Brando... Uh, is like sent to I think the Caribbean uh, to start an uprising uh, amongst uh, slaves who are working in like sugarcane uh, in order to kick the French off of an island so that England could colonize it and uh, he does it very successfully and that's the first half of the movie the second half of the movie he's called back because he did a too good a job and they're still rebelling you you inspired them to rebel and they won't stop now. You have hmm. to stop them now. And you can't. <laughs> you can't just put that genie back in a bottle. <laughs> Incredible movie. Marlon Brando considered it one of his best uh, movies and performances. And I'm inclined to agree. So it doesn't get talked about a lot. So if you, re- if you like Battle of Algiers, and I'd be surprised if you didn't at least find it interesting, uh, I highly recommend checking out Burn, a.k.a. Kemata. Uh, it's usually found under Burn. Uh, mm. In America, so I uh, hope you uh, check that one out. But uh, the Battle of Algiers, it's if you don't have Criterion Channel, it is also on HBO Max, so it's pretty easy to find. Yeah, and that is critically acclaimed for this week. Uh, next week we'll be reviewing. Actually, it's we're, we're we've got a summer <laughs> all a, of a sudden. A, a summer movie season we, we, is we, actually beginning. Yeah, some of the, some of the delayed movies are finally coming out, and so next week we have uh, a Quiet Place Two which was just about to come out when the pandemic hit hmm. last uh, last year. <laughs> Went quiet, you might say. Yeah. Uh, and we're also getting Disney's Cruella, the uh, prequel origin story of Cruella DeVille, starring uh, Academy Award winner Emma Stone hmm. and Academy Award winner Emma Thompson. And I hope every time they were on set, they're like, hey, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would love to be I don't know I, I, Was it Craig Gillespie Who directed uh, Cruella? Yeah Craig Gillespie I, is if, I'm, if I'm Craig Gillespie First day on set I'm like This is gonna get confusing You're Emma 1 And you're Emma 2 And um, Emma Stone's just like Why am I Emma 2? You know why It's Emma Thompson Emma T and Emma S Fine 
That's no disrespect no. to Abbott Stone, but go on, Abbott Thompson was there first. But if, if you really, really wanted to know the complex backstory of the woman from the animated dog film, <laughs> boy, how do you're going to get it. Cause you're going to get it next week. So it's over two hours long. And on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, uh, we are having a poll on our Patreon for family movies on Tubi TV. And Tubi TV, as we've pointed out on many an occasion, is one of the weirdest streaming services. They're free, which means they show commercials. Mm. Sometimes very few commercials, actually. It's often very watchable. And their library is bizarre. <laughs> it's very extensive. It's it's like the cast-offs of all of the other yeah. streaming services. All the shit that they don't want, but they mm. don't know that it's good. Mm. They've got a lot of good shit. Uh, we did not pick the good shit. For our Patreon, no, we decided to go with family films, and yeah. uh, we, well, that doesn't mean they aren't good family films. I, but we I didn't suppose pick, not. We didn't but, pick the uh, good family films. There, there are a few uh, famous, infamous, notable family well, films on there here, that I have not seen. You, you picked you, without giving away who mm. picked what. Uh, you picked two beloved films, and I did not. Okay. Uh, so you, uh, uh, the the films that are on the poll right now, this poll will be up for another day or so. Are uh, and this it's a dead heat between three of them. By the way, like your vote really matters this week. Um, it matters every week. It matters every week, but sometimes it's like clearly one has way more votes than the others. Mm. This time it's really really close, and if you don't vote, you might completely change the landscape of next week's episode. <laughs> so, uh, but the nominees are. Uh, Troop Beverly Hills, starring Shelley Long as a Beverly Hills socialite who uh, decides to become a Girl Scout leader, but ends up teaching them about how to be Beverly Hills socialites. Uh, a gnome named Gnorm. I will say that again. A gnome named Gnorm. No, ordinarily we would pronounce that word gnome. Uh, and However, if you've seen the film, uh, the character is named Gnorm. Uh-huh. And he pronounces it Gnome. Yeah, I'm, I'm in fact, go- he corrects somebody saying it's not Gnome, yeah. it's Gnome. It's canon. Uh, so, and so it it's is Gnome named Gnorm. It's a buddy cop Michael movie. Hall. It's a buddy cop movie with Anthony Michael Hall and his partner is a is a is a gnome a, basically. It's a puppet gnome. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of only two films ever directed by Stan Winston. The other is oh, uh, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead. Hmm. Uh, let's see. We got a cop and a half in which Burt Reynolds is a tough cop whose new partner is a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's half a cop inspired by the film Mitchell yeah really the, the, it was one of the jokes oh okay from Mystery Science Theater version of Mitchell I would not have been shocked we're, that was we're actually Joe Don Baker's like yelling at that kid and, oh, and yeah. Crow says the inspiration for Cup and a Half there you go uh, and then uh, the last nominee is Free Willy uh, iconic 90's family film an unexpected smash hit and, uh, uh, and a lot of people grew up with it one person at this table did not uh Title title was uh, made fun of incessantly. Of course. Because it's a silly title. (laughs) It's a silly title. There's a lot of silly stuff in it. But this movie was a smash hit. It spawned at least two sequels. I think it was two, right? I think it was three now, actually. Three? Holy shit. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, one of us hasn't seen the original, and that is on the poll. And uh, one of those four movies is going to win, and we're going to review it next week, along with those other new releases. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you stopping by. Uh, thank you very much for subscribing. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, hang out and talk and stuff, you can always send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyclaimed.net 
We're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want a ton of exclusive shows on top of the shows that we have here at the Critically Acclaimed Network podcast feed, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. In addition to voting for future episodes of shows, you get bonus shows about stuff like Batman, Star Trek, Disney, the Academy Awards, commentary tracks. We got a lot over there. There's a huge back catalog. So if you sign up for any tier, you're going to get a gigantic back catalog of stuff to search through. Um, So thank you, everyone who's checking it out. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, And uh, we we, we have soap. Mm. Etsy.com. Look for Salt Cat Soap. You can also follow Salt Cat Soap on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, that is a soap store run by uh, myself and my uh, wife and partner, M. Lampas Da Silva. She is the uh, soap crafter uh, extraordinaire. Incredible designs, make wonderful gifts. Uh, Father's Day is coming up. We got uh, a bit of a sale going on through the 31st on a few of our uh, top tier items. Uh, So head on over there. We got soaps, lotions, bath salts, stickers, a lot of cool stuff. And uh, Whitney has a couple of things he wants to tell you about, too. Uh, I'm, I'm on a new podcast that's not on this network. Okay. Um, over on the Screens Margins Network, a network founded by the venerable B. Peterson, uh, they and I are doing a podcast all about Ovid, and it's called All About Ovid, spelled with all O's. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Uh, Ovid is the streaming service for the deep cut art house stuff, all the stuff that played at like, museums. And uh, we're just sort of very casually going through Ovid and watching whatever we want to watch and just talking about it. It's very kind of loosely structured podcast, but we do get to talk about things on Ovid. So go on over to the screen's margins. It's over there. Um, Also, this is brand new. Mm -hmm. We have a post office box. Yeah. We get some people every once in a while asking to send us like physical mail. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. send us like DVDs over the years. Not a lot, but it's happened. Hmm. Uh, and uh, we wanted to make sure there was like one good address to give you for that. And yeah. now we have one. So yeah, we have a post office box. Uh, so you can send your letters or packages to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565. Los Angeles, California, 90064. I'll say it again, P.O. Box 641565, LACA 90064. Do it today. <laughs> that was an MST3K reference. Uh, no well, pressure, it's, it's though. Just radio voice reference, but yeah. But I remember Tom Servo saying it just like that. <laughs> um, in any case, but yeah, no pressure, though. It's just we sometimes have people asking. Now we have one. So uh, if, you, if you're if you inclined, that's the way to do that. Mm. Thank you very much to everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. So thank you, everybody, very much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day, night, week, whatever. Take a load off. You know, take off your socks. You know, just take off just your socks. You've been wearing them for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and never forget, everyone's a critic. <laughs> <laughs>